podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What makes for a great vacation? Depends on who you ask. Are you looking to get away or bring everyone together? Do you want to get outside and play or see a play at the plate? Fortunately, however you operate, I'm the destination you've been looking for. The name's Missouri, but you can call me Mo. And I have just one question. What's your M.O.? To find your M.O., tap now. Or for information on safe travel, come see me at visitmo.com. It's the bluest room in town. Yeah, they're actually funny. the blue room uh, that is our new intro that we've got uh courtesy of zuzu if you want to go and check out their stuff the link is in the description below uh, it feels as though that song has given us some rules to adhere to as well it can't all be doom and gloom uh, but we certainly got some sound guests uh joining me this week uh mark mosey carl roper and joining us from kit it out is paul uh thanks very much for, for coming on mate here to try to chat about the the mural that's gone up in the Baltic. Uh, first and foremost, congratulations. It, it looks absolutely fantastic. Have you been? Uh, Carl is applauding on our Zoom chat here. Uh, you must have been made up with the reaction it's got from Blue so far. Yeah, it's good. It was, I mean, it was good when we had the image and the artists were saying, go to different images and that. But when I went down on Thursday nights and he'd projected it onto the bricks and he started uh, spray painting and it was just another thing. It was like coming to life at you. Just, you know what I mean? It was amazing the work they've done. It, it, I was just we sort of saying before we, we hit record there that it feels like this has gone up pretty quickly. All in all, you know, it seems like not long ago where you guys sort of put the idea forward. You know, we've we've had people like Carl on our shows talking about it for for a while, but you were sort of saying that it's not not felt like a, a streamlined process for you. It's uh, there's been a few sleepless nights yeah. over this. Yeah, it's been a long, long journey. I mean. We- Girlfriend Michelle out to kit it out nearly killed me a few times. <laughs> looking at brick walls, you know what I mean? I, I can never look at a brick wall the same again without thinking about it. It's just it's chaos, lack of sleep, are just so many hurdles to get over before we got there. Yeah, and, and finally, from me, before we, we hear from the other lads as well, because they've got some, some questions for you. Uh, how did you settle on the, the players that, that went up there? Because I've seen a lot of chat on, on Twitter about that. Is it something that you, you sort of spoke to Evertonians about? or just had a chat amongst yourselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've spoken to a few people who are, I know from our Twitter page, big Everton fans and big Everton people about who they like on the mural. And they were, it was a mix of generations and present, really. So I tried to do it like a, a timeline. And obviously, Neville Southall on and off the pitch is a legend for what he's doing at the minute. So we had to go on it. And Dixie, Alan Ball, and, and obviously Kendall. But the last one, Leighton Baines, it was... Either him, anyone could have went on in Ferguson, Baines, Coleman, but I wanted someone where you're looking at the club as they are now and not in the 80s and 70s and something that, that people can still relate to. Like, I grew up with Baines playing for Everton. He stayed at Everton when Man U, Chelsea, all them teams could have come in for him because I went and won trophies, but he stayed with us. And I think he's a great, I think he's a legend. Obviously, he hasn't won what the other people have won, but I still think he's a legend at Everton and he's still there now. So, he made the cut in the end. 
Yeah, I completely agree with that. Carl, this is something you've been speaking about for, for a while, mate. Like I said, we had a, a really interesting chat with uh, Frank McKenna and, and Kate Riley James uh, probably two, three months ago now, wasn't it, in regards to, to all this? It might, might, might be even longer <laughs> uh, in that regard. Um, it's something you've been championing for a while, and I think it, it looks great. The location's great, and you know the lads deserve a massive amount of credit for what they've done, don't they? Oh, they do. I mean, I think in life there are sayers and doers. Uh, and in this uh, regard, I was I was definitely only a sayer by by tweeting about it. Paul's the one who basically got off his backside and and, and made it all happen. So you know, actually, uh, you know, basically thanks really for Paul for leading the way and giving Everton uh, such a brilliant cultural uh, landmark in the city. I suppose I suppose when I started tweeting about it, it was I mean, it wasn't it, it was wasn't one of my less um, less provocative tweets. I think I said. Walking through Liverpool city centre is soon going to be feel like a Catholic walking down the Shankill Road, given the uh, the per, um, number of uh, Liverpool football club murals that were popping up. And I think what Paul's proven, um, and the uh, the response to the to the mural, is that you know Evertonians are quite thirsty for our club to be represented, um, the profile of the club and, and and the club to be represented within the culture. Of the city of Liverpool, in other in other parts of the city other than Goodison. I mean, one of the Paul and I. It's the first time we've actually met tonight because you know our, our kind of relationship was on Twitter, um, uh, direct messages, and and you know I did Paul. You know Paul will tell you the story himself because he he, he was basically running the show and, and and did all the hard work. But you know that kind of the the difficulty was finding somewhere in, in away from Goodison and. There were a couple of times where it, that almost just seemed like the let's do it by Goodison, and I think Paul kind of kept to it. Of, you know, we want we wanted away from Goodison, and you know, as Paul will tell you about about the setbacks. But you know, I think um, it's a fantastic mural. I think the 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 choice of players is absolutely spot on. You know, every Everton Evertonian will have the favourite. I I think the choice of Baines, which has probably been the Controversial is the wrong word, but probably the one that's got the most discussion mm. is, is absolutely brilliant and valid because not for my generation, my generation of Evertonians is represented in uh, Howard Kendall as a manager and Neville Southall. But you know, Evertonians in the teen, you know, late teens, 20s, it's, it's Leighton Baines, he's, he's their kind of Everton idol, so I think it's absolutely uh, spot on. But you know, I think it's shown that you know, I don't think the next thing is who's going to organize the next one, he's like, of course, <laughs> he's, he's burnt out. Give him um, a break, Carl, yeah, yeah, come on. <laughs> no, well, that's what I'm saying. Who's going to do it? Because someone else should take up the mountain because we want more. We don't just want one. You know, we, we want more throughout the city centre. But yeah. well done to Paul. He's, a, he's an Everton hero as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's, I think there's kind of like this intrinsic thing with Everton fans that you, you almost feel like, and there's almost a culture of the fans in that we don't have to have this public representation and we don't have to have the murals and and to be honest I think we've we've probably always had that intrinsic feeling because quite honestly Liverpool have always kind of done these things first uh, and, and that was that was one of the ridiculous things that obviously get thrown up when when we do produce a mural it's like oh you, you know what you you're copying us and, and Liverpool fans have claimed it and and Diego Maradona and, and God knows what else but mm. I think it, it, it's something that Everton fans need to it's almost as though there's a there's that there's not that feeling to show pride about Evertonianism. I don't, you almost feel like, well, I am an Everton fan. I don't really need to to project that. And 
it, it's it's something that's quite unfortunate really and that we haven't had this feeling to, to go out and be proud of and, and plaster your, your name and your cause all over the city because that, that that is essentially what your sport and your football club is there to do it's it's to show it off and be proud of it uh, I think it's it's also quite interesting that this happens at a time where obviously a lot of the season ticket sort of data and, and ballot numbers came out about both clubs today and you kind of do look at the numbers that come out of both clubs and think, well, well, why aren't we doing these things? What, why isn't every wall in, in the city centre blue? Because certainly from a from a quantitative point of view, in terms of season ticket holders, then the, the data is quite clearly there. Uh, Paul, you mentioned about spending a lot of your time staring at walls. Um, how did it become this particular wall? Was it was there any particular reason that that, that area was chosen? Yeah, well, obviously we wanted in the town centre or the Baltic, and we had loads of options. We, we had loads of walls, but the walls just wouldn't fit what we wanted on. And as Carl will tell you, we had many, some say conversations, some will say arguments <laughs> on Twitter about finding another wall or picking a new uh, picture to put up there. But at the end, the fella from Lee Forstock, he, he said, you can put it on this wall. It's perfect. There's a people coming by when the tea is or the lockdown's over it'll be a busy area I mean the fellow who owns the building he's a, he's a Liverpool fan <laughs> so yeah. it just it didn't make sense in the end that this is how it all come to light he said you can put it on my wall my dad was a big Everton fan he's dead now but he would have loved it so you can put it there so cool. I went down looked at it it was an amazing area you know what I mean there's regeneration going on in the area there's loads of eyes and people looking at it so as I say, we could have chose a different uh, wall in different parts of the city centre and it just wasn't meant to be on some other walls and maybe it was for the best, really. You should have put it in Kirby just to annoy everyone. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you know what the point uh, Mark mentioned there about how this sort of showy-off nature is not really part of like the Evertonian psyche to a degree, you know? And the phrase that I hate, and I know Carl spoke about it before and he hates it as well, it's cop-like behaviour. Um, did you get much resistance in that sense? Did you get any blues sort of saying, you know, this is not something we do, this is something that the Reds do, we should just sort of keep reserved and keep quiet? Yeah, a few people said they, they, Everton don't need murals, we don't need to be like Liverpool and stuff like that, but it is what it is. It's not as if we haven't had success. Obviously, currently, we're in a, a transitional period now and it's looking, it's looking good, we've got a great manager, but... As I say, we think we've won the fifth most Premier League uh, football league titles, Division One titles in in England. It's not as if we've just popped up and we've got no history. Yeah. We deserve our history to be shown up, and there's two teams in the city, and we're going to show that there's two teams in the city. So now, when people come over from Europe or whatever, they can walk to Baltic and see all of the great murals, and you can see Everton's mural, and then they'll mm. go back knowing that there's two cities, there's two uh, clubs in the city. Mm. Well. Yeah, I mean, in, a, in an odd way, even though um, Evertonians are very proud of the club, we, we've almost psychologically let Liverpool's success invalidate our own. You know, it's all, if, if we were a standalone club, I think we've said this before, if we were in a, in a town or a city called Everton and we didn't have to share, um, you know, the city with, with Liverpool Football Club, you know, we, we, we've got an incredible history. Um, incredible amounts of trophies and we, we've almost kind of I think psychologically although few Evertonians admit it we've almost let their kind of success invalidate our own because numerically it doesn't 
it doesn't it doesn't stack up to this. But you know, just because we haven't won twenty league titles doesn't invalidate nine. You know, just it, it, it just doesn't. I mean, it stands alone on its own as an achievement. And you know, we've got um, you know, Jurgen Klopp's won won a league title in a European Cup with Liverpool. How can won two league titles? Two league titles for Everton and arguably took Everton on a bigger journey than, than Klopp did. So if he, if he deserves numerous murals in this city, um, and when, all, when you'd also add on the fact he had a glittering playing career with Everton, he deserves his face represented on, uh, in the city, not you know, Jürgen Klopp, understandably, is a hero to Liverpool fans. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, let their, their success invalidate our own. They, they could, they're allowed to celebrate their success and we should be allowed to celebrate ours. But I think Paul's work has been an important marker and you know it's it's not just the process of um of doing the mural it's the reaction to it and it, it shows that if you do this type of stuff evertonians will rally around it because there is actually a, an untapped demand for it i mean you know like i said jokingly who's going to do the next one well it's pretty clear you should try and do the next one and that should be the club mm. or at least the fans for them because the club i reckon would probably um, overcome some of the hurdles that Paul faced operating essentially on his own. Much easier in terms of finding a, um, a, a location, even even closer to the centre uh, of the city centre. You know, some of the Liverpool murals are corporate, the death through sponsorship. Um, and, you know, when I would hope, I mean, there was a, when I went down on the Friday lunchtime, there was a, a club photographer there, there was a, a the club of publicised it, there was a representative from the club. Um, when I, I think when I did the one of the, the first tweets about it with a number of others back in July, it was, it was picked up a couple of weeks later by the fans forum and said, well, well we're going to pursue this. Well, I'm not quite sure what's happening now. But, you know, if Paul can do this in his spare time, you know, whilst running a, you know, a, a wonderful uh, initiative like Kitten Out, then Everton Football Club should, that, should be able to do it. And, you know, I think Paul is, you know, I know he, he doesn't, he, this isn't an, um, a time to be divisive, but he's unwittingly put a marker down and a challenge down to Everton Football Club. Well, the fans have done their bit. Now it's time for the club to do theirs. Well, Carl, you're talking about other murals. It, it took us ages to find one player from the last 30 years who could go on one. <laughs> <laughs> who else are we going to put on? Well, you'll have one up with Thomas Radzinski next to Tobias. <laughs> <laughs> Gareth Farley well, deserves I, one for that goal against Coventry, surely. Get him on one, yeah. yeah. Well, we we uh, well we could always take we could always take some of the pictures off my beloved Everton timeline that goes around <laughs> the. Um, we could maybe have a mural of the day we signed Nick Barnby or or James Beattie or uh, you know the right. usual well. ones or, or maybe some of the pictures on the Everton time timeline like when we won a trophy and they're stuck down the side of the street. Where I think the one now. Yeah, Mike, Mike Walker becoming the manager is literally the, the main one on Goodison Road. Uh, weird stuff. <laughs> uh, Paul, just, just, make, just a couple more for me before you go. Uh, Carl tends to be mentioned other projects. Is that something you've even given any thought to now or are you just sort of taking this time to chill out? We, we've just, just before we came on there, you sat there having a nice bottle of Moretti with Carlo Angelotti photoshopped onto the Moretti man. So you're enjoying the perks of it, yeah? It was all worth it in the end, as I was saying before. <laughs> I mean, the fans, the fans form to get in touch with us, and there's a fellow on there, Tony, who did, you know what I mean, give us a little bit of guidance, and um, he did throw some money into the uh, the GoFundMe as well, and they said they got plans. They said they were working on something, so 
And also Everton have asked me if there was any walls that I couldn't use, if we can give them their contact details. So there might be things in the in the pipeline. That's but, good. I mean, as I say, you just it's just hard work. They've got much more um, facilities and stuff than I have walking around town with my girlfriend looking for a wall. So <laughs> maybe more things are in the pipeline and good, more things are going to come from it. Oh, I bet you she's made up. She's finished the time for Christmas, mate, anyway. You'll be getting dragged around the shops all the next few weeks now in, in payback for being dragged around looking at walls. Uh, and just, just before we take a break, mate, uh, tell us a bit about Kit It Out as well and the, the fantastic work you've been doing there for a while and how people could potentially get involved in that. Yeah, so now um, that the mural's over, we've, we're currently working on the Scouse Christmas stocking. So Michelle and a few of the women who were involved in it we're getting um, people to donate stuff to us, like Southall's donated stuff to us. Everton have given us a few signed shirts to donate off. So we're just making money up, and then we're going to put all toys into like stockings and get them around to community centres in time for Christmas. So I'm going back to what I know. No more nightmares or brick walls <laughs> or lawyers. <laughs> there we go. Uh, mate, thanks very much for coming on. Really appreciate your time. Uh, congratulations oh, again. As, as Carl said, um, you know, it's... Fantastic for the city that we're represented in such a vibrant and upcoming area with some of our, our icons there. So I think I echo the words of, of every Evertonian who's saying thanks very much for that. And uh, it'd be great to get you back on again in the future to have a chat about Kit Out and, and the Toffees as well. No worries. Thanks for having me. This is Claudia's O'Reilly Auto Parts story. I had just moved to a new city and barely even knew where the grocery store was yet. When my car wouldn't start one morning, I didn't know who to ask about local shops. But I remembered a name from back home, O'Reilly Auto Parts. I called and they pointed me to a great mechanic just down the street. Now, I feel a little more at home. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We are back on the Blue Room. Thanks very much to Paul there from Kitted Alta. Carl was just telling us about some frank discussions they had in regards to where that was going to go. And you were driving around the Baltic, with hanging out your car window, taking photos. Carl, I'm sure people thought, who's the suspicious fella here? Just going around taking photos, taking Hello. photos of us all. Hello. There were kind of all kinds of uh, like people taking very curious looks at me as I'm kind of stuck, pulled up on Jamaica Street somewhere. Um, saying to Paul, this would make a good wall, this would make a good wall. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. We got there uh, in the end. Well, he got there in the end. Yeah. It's an essential it's- journey officer. <laughs> absolutely uh, so yeah do go and follow them on Kit and Alice if you want to see more about that and the great work they do as well uh, lots of wonderful stuff going on uh, let's have a chat about some other stuff then uh, this is sort of breaking news as we're recording this um, Everton have confirmed more details in regards to a ballot for fans to apply for tickets for the Premier League match against Chelsea at Goodison Park on Saturday the 12th of December so obviously the week after Next, that's an 8pm kickoff. Now, just read a bit of the statement they've put out here on the website first. It says, new government COVID guidelines mean 2,000 supporters can attend fixtures from this month. Signaling the return of fans to Goodison Park for the first time since March. The registration period for eligible fans to enter the ballot will run from 5pm GMT on Wednesday, 2nd December to midnight on Friday, the 4th of December. Um, just a few more other bits as well, which are important uh, in regards to COVID testing as well. It says, in support of the Liverpool City Region mass testing programme, all fans who are successful in the ballot will need to provide confirmation 
of having received a negative COVID-19 test result on the day of the game or the day prior to gain entry into the stadium, the Howard Kendall Gladys Street stand, the top balcony, and designated areas for disabled fans will be used to accommodate supporters as part of a socially distanced seating plan. So quite a lot to take in. I think we're, we're all sort of still taking this in as, as we record this. Um, but it's, you know, with the news coming out today, Mark, in regards to vaccines, potentially getting wheeled out over the next few weeks, well, certainly before the new year, talk of us getting back to Goodison will be, only be a, a minute amount. It's, um, it's all very exciting. If not, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot to take in still, isn't it, at this point? Yeah, it's all very exciting until you realise you're in the top balcony in December. And you think, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you've not even got people around you you're not even like, no you know, you've around got to... you to keep you warm yeah <laughs> i don't know why but when all of this was eventually coming around i never really envisaged the top balcony being used but obviously far more reason has gone into it than what i can than what i can use as a preference but uh yeah you're absolutely right it's just it, it's such a positive move um we know we know how this is going to work with limited numbers. We've seen it in trials uh, down at Brighton, I think, a couple of months ago. They they used it for a friendly against Chelsea, didn't they? So um, we've kind of seen how this is going to look. Um, clearly, in terms of numbers, it's depleted. Um, shouting and singing is not something to be overly encouraged, which will fit in at Goodison really well. Um, so there's there's going to be a there's going to be a few things that are going to take a little bit of time to get used to. It, it will feel a bit more like spectating than supporting. Um, we, we, we all kind of know the caveats of only having 2,000 people in it. It's nice to all be there, but it's, it's clearly not going to be the, the Goodison Park that we know. But I think for so many reasons, people people are just trying to grasp that small element of, of normality and routine that, that we so fondly remember. Um, from a from a more selfish point of view, I think quite a lot of us just want to see James Rodriguez play for Everton. I think that that is quite an important driver to winning the ballot. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a fantastic step, and it's already nice to see the club making positive statements in terms of w- w- the degree of the percentage of those fans that will be season ticket holders and and how that will that will likely be a league high. Um, so it, it's nice to know that. It's another one of those issues that when this came around, you, you got the intrinsic feeling that Everton would do this properly. Um, and as much as there is an element of, you know, going into the unknown with, with bringing COVID testing in and, and the logistics about how that will work, I think we've just got to all go into this with positivity and a fresh mind and, and just accept the fact that as, as new and as, as raw and unknown as this is for supporters, it is equivalent for the football club as well. Um, so very much a collective effort, but one that I'm sure all of us are, are looking forward to. Yeah, I suppose, Carl, it's, you know, 2000 in the grand scheme of things is, is tiny. And, you know, I've seen people sharing pictures before of that Atalanta game, I think it was, where there was, I think there was 17,000 there that night and it felt empty then. You know, maybe more, a lot of that was down to the way Everton played that night in, in fairness and how empty it was at the end when we were 5-1 down or whatever it was. But, no, it's, it's a small step in that sense, but it's a pretty much a massive step in every other sense, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think one of the things that we've all had to uh, get our heads around over the, um, the the seven or eight months since the, the lockdown is that, um, and it probably all dawned on us at some point in the, in the late spring, that there wasn't going to be a switch that was fully flicked and yeah. life would return to normal, that this was going to be a very long, slow, gradual process but you've got to start somewhere haven't you and 
Um, you know, it was good that football started again. You know, I, I, I was always supportive of that, largely because I was going, um, you know, I, I was going stare crazy with nothing <laughs> to occupy myself with, and and you know, I was, I was, I, I longed for the sweet, um, you know, kiss of Evertonian death, you know, um, by uh, watching Everton, uh, the travails of Everton to recommence. And this, this is another one, and, and you know, I suppose. You know, there's a lot of this that's outside the control of, of Everton Football Club. You know, they're working within very, very strict national restrictions. You know, the things that will occupy the supporters will be the fairness of the ballot. You know, and I think the thing that a lot of people will instantly look for is, can I apply and go to the match with my mates? And, I, I, you know, looking at that, you can up to a group of six, and that group of six is, is treated as a single uh, application. So if, if us three apply to go together, if your name comes, you know, someone's name, then everyone who's in that group goes with them. You know, and I think that seems that obviously seems, will be a thing that a lot of people will will look to because if if, if one thing is worse than two thousand people um, being in Goodison, it's two thousand strangers who haven't got the ability to row or tut or groan. <laughs> in the general direction of, of somebody we know. But I'll make this prediction. It doesn't matter whether there'll be 39,000, 40,000 in Goodison or 2,000. The groan when the first misplaced pass goes in will be audible. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all, and we'll all know we're back. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boo when the siren starts just to get it out of the way. <laughs> um, I think the, the interesting thing also and, and possibly the element of, of the statement that I didn't really contemplate or expect was the necessity for proof of, of the COVID test on the way in. Um, and I think not, not to go full politics here, but on a, on a wider scale, we've heard the government talking this week about how um, COVID vaccines, for example, won't, won't be compulsory. Um, but I think the, what we've seen Everton do and what I assume that other football clubs will, will follow suit with is probably a vision about how um, COVID testing and also vaccinations could well be kind of indirectly mandatory for, for a lot of these events that are yeah. starting again. Um, I don't think many people would, would have too many complaints about that, but I think it's an interesting interesting way to see where kind of society in general is moving. I think once you offer things like mass testing and you offer immunizations, then companies, restaurants, football clubs, they will all expect people to meet these measures if you want to, to indulge in, in any one of these elements of society. So I think that's probably an interesting step that, that Everton have taken, and, and I assume if they haven't already, that every football club will likely take. I suppose that's one of the benefits of, of sorry, sorry, Carl. I suppose that's one of the, the benefits of, of what's going on in the city here at the moment, isn't it? You know, yeah. a lot of people, for some reason or another, were very skeptical about the, the mass testing and how it could potentially draw up more cases and therefore tighten restrictions and you know make Liverpool look worse in, in general. But I think that the, the testing overall has been a, a roaring success. And, when you've got that as a backdrop, it, it can be sort of a, a way for people to sort of show that they've obviously got, you know, the COVID negative in that regard and can go to football matches, can go and meet the friends, can go out to restaurants, can go to the theatre and, and all those sorts of things. It feels like this as Mark, almost like a, a COVID passport sort of thing, isn't it? For, for, for people of getting, getting into these sorts of events. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, you know, before I say this, let me just say I'm not a COVID denier. I've been th I've been tested three times, 
during the Liverpool pilot. And if someone can tell me where to start queuing for the vaccine, I will take my place in the queue um, straight away because I, you know, I'm I'm pro-vax and I, I, you know, COVID is real, and I've been tested. I, I do think over time there, there may well be some um, some challenges to this mm. in terms of I, I, it seems to me if you make um a recent test conditional to entry into a stadium that that is going to require some change to legislation and um, that allows clubs to make that because i think over time um you know clubs you know goodison park's private property so i guess everton can can make any rule if they want up but that would have to stand up to a legal challenge and i well, think do you think that might just come from the government though in general yeah, I mean, for, I, for, I, all, for all sorts of yeah. mass gatherings well, I think, I think you know, for instance, that there is legislation that governs um, access to football stadiums, isn't it? So that, you know, that, mm. that, would, that would take care of that. And I, I think, you know, that's what the government will do. I mean, the Prime Minister said they're not going to make the vaccination compulsory because that's not what we do. That's not in our tradition in this country. But you almost do the nudge. You go the other way and it's nudge, isn't it, by you, you actually make entrance into any, you know, travelling on planes is, is the big one that's being discussed, doesn't it? You know, I was saying to you before. You know, I've got a, um, I've got a ticket for Glastonbury, which I'm hoping and praying I'll be able to kind of redeem next summer. And um, you know, I, I personally would be prepared to do almost anything um, to to get in to get into in, into Glastonbury, whether it's have a test or have a vaccine or whatever. That, that will be challenged, though. I mean, there will there will be challenges to that on kind of civil liberties um, grounds. But um, you know, I, I, I I've got no problem with it. I have to say. I genuinely haven't. Yeah, I think from what I've seen so far, I think some people, the fact that, you know, there's going to be not tests of the ground, they're going to be doing temperature tests, I think it says it could soon in regards to people going in. But, you know, it seems though there's a bit of a mixed reaction whether the, the fact that people need to have a test beforehand makes them happier about going or, or more apprehensive about going. But just trying to put myself in that position now, if, I, if I'm going the game and I'm around that number of people for the first time in months, and I know personally that I've you know, been tested and negative. I know everybody around me has been tested and they're negative. But well, I think I think it gives you that, that extra bit of peace of mind, doesn't it? Going going back to the match, which for a lot of people, I imagine, will be quite a, a big step to take because this this lockdown and being, you know, a lot of people would have been completely secluded from the friends and family during a, a lot of this time. And going back to a football match is going to be a big step for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen already in terms of I've I've not been to the mass testing in Liverpool, but the turnaround in terms of the speed of results seems incredibly positive and, and can facilitate things like this. This is ultimately obviously what the whole country wants to achieve, but it, it's a privilege to have to have Liverpool in this position where we are able to to pilot schemes like this. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting angle you come at it from, Matt, because I think it's probably not something I would have thought of until you were at the turnstile and you thought, oh my God, there's, there's however many people around me and, and you very quickly feel that vulnerability that you probably didn't even really expect it that you would potentially feel. Uh, people obviously in the next week and a half will be able to acclimatise slightly to that if they if they wish with you know restaurants and bars and, and whatever else reopening. But it's only it's only when you try and slip back into that old routine where historically you you are aware that you've got forty thousand people around you. I think in many ways, just having the 2,000 is even even a bit more eerie and makes you that bit more contemplative yeah. than, 
than it would be with having 40,000. It's, it's a strange... I suppose, I suppose if you went back to 40,000, you'd all sort of slip back into that mode of being at the match very quickly again, wouldn't you? Where it is going to be so different to anything we've experienced before. If, if, you know, people are lucky to get tickets. Yeah, the, the match potentially is not how going the match has ever been before. Uh, and that's not purely because Alex Iwobi's playing left wing back. It's because there's there's so many of these these restrictions. And I don't know, rocking up at three o'clock might might not be an option anymore. The, the whole necessity to get there early and to go through all of these sorts of routines is, is potentially something that we're all going to have to live with now. But I think most Evertonians, regardless of, of how it's going, and as much as it's been all right this season, I think we're all ready to, to jump through as many hoops as possible to get back in there. Yeah, just had an image then of maybe in a few months' time, everyone everyone rushing down Goodison Road trying to get in, doing a portable COVID test that they forgot yeah. to do. Got to wait a few minutes for the results. But yeah. If we're getting beat by Chelsea, I'll be out by 60 minutes and I still won't be able to get a cab back to the town. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, well, it's it's exciting, isn't it, in that regard? Uh, but it would be nice if we had a team that was playing extremely well when fans are back at Goodison Park. Obviously, that Chelsea game is in a week's time. Um, we've got a game before then against Burnley, which we'll talk about a bit later. But first and foremost, lads, uh, neither of you have been on since the the Leeds game. Um, sort of spoke to you both about it a little bit, uh, Carl, just before we came on and, and Mark over the weekend. Um, I think you both sort of retaining a bit of perspective about this you, you, you know you're not Carlo out yet lads in, in that regard no uh, uh, not, not at all I mean, <laughs> I mean oh god I mean you know it may well come but hopefully not um, for a while I mean I, I think I suppose um, there's been a bit of a debate isn't it is are you allowed to criticise a manager like Carlo Ancelotti you know um, you know this like you know Oh, it just does me add in. <laughs> Dave's, a, Dave's a painter and decorator from Fazakli. How you know has he got the right to criticise? You know, um, you know, one of the most successful club managers in the history of the game. Well, well, of course he has, because if he hasn't, then that's the end of that's the end of football as a cultural as much as a as a kind of supportive experience. If he, if he hasn't, we shut we shut the blue room down tomorrow. Uh, you what's, know, what's um, the point of doing all this? I guess, I guess um, you know, and and, and actually. You know, Liverpool. You know, those of us who, who have um, slightly less uh, cult-like um, friends who support Liverpool know that you know Jurgen Klopp's not um, immune from criticism from uh, Liverpool fans in terms of individual team selections, and, and literally that's what we're we're doing at the moment, aren't we? We're not, there's no kind of mass criticism of Ancelotti. It's um, it's not a kind of structural criticism. We're arguing over whether player X or Y should be in position A or B, really, that's, that's what we're arguing about, isn't it? And, um, you know, my, my criticism is that I'm not entirely sure why losing a right-back and a, and a left-back when we've got right-backs and left-backs at the club who, you know, seems to necessitate this kind of mass reorganisation of the defence in the midfield and that seems to have spread chaos and and, and destroyed confidence in, in, in the rest of the side. That's my, you know, I, I say what I say on the pitch. I'm a trade union official, not a, a football coach. Um, I don't even pay that much attention to tactics, as I say constantly on on this show. You know, um, but I mean, you know, people are allowed to criticise the manager, aren't they? I mean, you know, heaven, heaven's sake, you know. I'm I'm not quite Carlo out, but 
What's your name? What's your name? Oh, God. Who are you to criticise Carlo, eh? What have you ever done? <laughs> I'll show you my credentials after the podcast, mate. But <laughs> it was a bit like the first time you beat your dad at footy in the garden when you were a kid and you realise he's not invincible. And I, yeah, I got that impression with Ancelotti. I was like, oh, God, yeah, you, you are going to try... Fabian Delph at left back and you are going to see if the core can play out of position and make the same mistakes that I'm pretty sure every, every Evertonian over the last three years is just ready to not see anymore um, it, it, was, it was a little bit of a disheartening one for me because I just felt like he made, he made some really really poor decisions um, and it's, it's on the back of a few weeks of poor decisions that the Newcastle game was, was strange for so many reasons and I think with, with the Leeds game, I think Carl's right in terms of, you know, if you've got omissions in certain areas of the squad, then just just kind of make life a little bit easier for you and don't try and put square pegs in those round holes. But the, the Leeds game was always going to be that kind of just edge of your seat, very few restrictions in terms of tactics. And, and you, you kind of know what the, the type of teams that Everton and Leeds are this year, that there could be fireworks regardless. But... I think when you start playing midfielders or wing-back, then you kind of turn those fireworks on their side and let them off and, and kind of see what happens. And it, it was all just a little bit... It would have been a lovely game as a neutral to kind of sit back in and not be invested in and, and kind of just strap yourself in and let the chaos ensue. But it felt as though Everton were, were consistently contributing to that chaos. And on the face of it, it was probably a game where... It was so open at times that you kind of you'd afford the the bias to Everton's attacking prowess and say you will go out and Richarlison, Hamed Rodriguez. This game is ridiculous, but you go and make your stamp on it and, and give us that sort of attack and flair to just nick it. And on another day, that that may well have been the case, but I think the major analysis you can make on the back of it is that when games get into those kind of temperamental zones. Everton still really haven't got the the defensive structure or or the stability to kind of see out the more dangerous moments and, and clinch those games that mm. your Champions League candidates and, and your champions of years gone by are capable of doing. And and I'm I'm not putting Everton into those echelons on the back of, of what was a lovely time a couple of months ago. But that that is that is where we want to be and where we want to see this team grow to. And I think collectively we'd all agree that there's there's quite a lot of work still to do. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Mark's criticism is the right type of criticism. It's constructive. I mean, I think, I mean, I, I'll say this, and I'm not saying it as a challenge to what Mark said. I mean, I think there is a mitigation. I think sometimes my biggest eye roll, eye roll sometimes at the Evertonian kind of diaspora when we're watching a game is we we see the game entirely from an Everton point of view. We very yeah. we don't always take into account who we're playing. Which is important, and you know, there's a mitigation. We were playing a team with a manager who's in his third season at the club. He's he's had time to put his kind of you know very you know um, um, effective tactics into play. You know, develop a squad of players that he that he likes. He may well have sorted out the kind of we from the chat who he wants and who he doesn't want. He's had time to buy players who fit his system. You know, they've had a really strong start to the season, clearly on a high. And, you know, you could tell that that was a team relatively settled, who knew the tactics of the side, because they've been playing like that for the best part of, you know, um, 
for two seasons against a team that is in a big, still at the, near the beginning and the end of the transition period, that has had injuries to key players, um, where the manager is, I mean, and I, and I think this is, the frustra- this is the frustration that Mark suggests is, is, is going through that very painful thing of having to try players that we all know mm. have been tried before and failed. But Carlo Ancelotti is a football coach who has clearly got an ego because you've got to have one to be a football coach and probably thinks he, he's got the ability mm. to get a tune out of players that we've seen several people try to get a tune out of and, are, and probably won't. But he's sitting there going, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a football coach. I'm seeing these guys in training and I think I can get a tune out of them. Yeah. We, we all sit there at the ground or on the telly and go, well, you're not going to get a tune out of Delph. And, you know, I'm telling you now, the, the chances of Sigerson in a, in a purple patch over 10 games had receded a long time ago. But he's got he's to believe that he can do that because at the moment, they're the only players mm. at his disposal. Now, that's really frustrating for us as fans because we've seen it before. But I guess, what, can, what else can he do? You know, mm. he, there's not much else he can do. And, and again, I... I I'm not challenging Mark with that. That's just the mitigation of the Leeds game. The biggest thing is you, we, we as Evertonians have got to think of who we're playing as yeah. much as our own performance. And it'll be the same when we play Chelsea. Yeah. You've got to think of who we're playing. You know, yeah. there are better teams than us at the moment. You yeah. know, and you know, it's going to be a challenge. Not so much the Burnley game, which is a game we should we should win. Um, but um, you know, this is. This is this is where we are at the moment. Yeah, I think the the, the thing for me about it is, which is sort of throwing this forward, which is quite worrying, is that sort of coming back from that international break and looking at the three games we had: Fulham, Leeds, and obviously Burnley at the weekend, and then the subsequent really hard, really congested December. You sort of sort of break it down into you know the three games after. So what I wanted Everton to sort of be the position I wanted them to be in on Saturday or half two after that Burnley game is. They've got a settled formation. They've got most of the players fit. He picked up some good results, and they're going into that really difficult spell. But they're going into it knowing what they're all about, knowing the system they're going to play, and with some relationships um, built up in the team which had been broken down over the, the previous few weeks. And listen, injuries happen. Luca Dean being out is obviously a massive blow. There's not really much you can do for that. But it sort of feels as though as we go into to that Burnley game, that if you, if you asked if you asked Every Evertonian to name what they think the side's going to be for that game at the weekend. I think everybody will come up with a completely different team. And, you know, it, it doesn't feel as though this, you know, in those early games, it, even though there were flaws in the team or you could see them goals, you had an impression in a sense that you knew what this side was, was all about. You know, they were quite leaky at the back, but my word, they would go forward and they would punish you when you gave, when, when you know, when you had opportunities. Now it just feels like we're just twix between, neither here nor there in regards to what we're trying to be. And the personnel are all over the place as well. And I think it's, you know, Everton can, can go to Burnley and win regardless on Saturday, I think, most. But I think it's it's what comes after that. Does he does he sort of... Because you look at what, what what Carl said there, you go to Burnley and play and you can win that game, that's fine. But Chelsea's going to be a completely different game in a few weeks' time, isn't it? And I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit there, but it doesn't feel as though we're settled going into what's going to be a really crucial and really testing part of the season. Yeah, I think even just to expand on that further, I think if someone told you that 
the Everton side at 90 minutes on Saturday will look totally unrecognisable to the one that starts the game. It, it wouldn't surprise you at all because it feels like we're going at this season half by half as opposed to, you know, going through one, judging that whole spell of games that we've got coming up as being one phase of the season and, and possibly going into that with a, with a certain game plan, as you, as you mentioned. But, yeah, it, stability is difficult to find at the best of times and as much as injuries are hampering our ability to kind of put a blueprint down, we all know that these things happen. We knew at the start of the season that challenges would arise and it, it, it just kind of feels at the moment that we haven't really got any form of, of set game plan, which, I mean, I, th- that's something I, I praise Carlo Ancelotti for at Fulham away last weekend in that the, the whole setup of the game and the team felt very much horses for courses. He was aware of, of Fulham and, and the potential weaknesses that were there. And... Game plans from previous weeks had been potentially thrown out the window a little bit in favour of what he thought was the best way to beat Fulham. Um, and as, as Carl referenced earlier, that that's at times how you have to set your team up. And it's in respect to the opposition that you have in front of you. But you, you have to balance that with an appreciation that any team that has done anything of note in this league in the last 20 years has had a, a degree of stability about its setup its mindset, and more importantly, its personnel. And Everton can't really stamp any of those into place at the moment. And, and as you say, Matt, that, that is absolutely the worrying thing. You know, oppositions are going to change on a, a weekly basis, and the, and the calibre and the, the technical ability of those teams will change with it. But you, you do have to have an idea about your identity and how your team will play football. And I think... It's been something that Everton have been guilty of, in particularly in recent years, about focusing almost a little bit too much on the opposition at times and, and not necessarily having a vision of, of how Everton play and how Everton attack and, and win games. And I think that that's something that we all, we all pin our hopes on, the fact that Ancelotti, by the end of this season, will know what an Ancelotti-Everton performance looks like. And it kind of it still feels like Firegarden a little bit at times and, and kind of just dealing with challenges as opposed to finding out what we're about. And, and maybe we do have to just kind of ride this particularly difficult wave at the moment and, and try and drag someone like Luca Dean back. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like if you, if you look at your season like that and, and look at the personnel that are out as opposed to the ones that are in, then it's not really a, a progressive way of doing things. But I think what we learned from the weekend is that Ancelotti is still trying to figure out these answers. He is still very much learning not obviously about the league, but but very much about the football club and, and the players that we have. But I think we're the whole summary of Everton and Everton in particular under Ancelotti is that we're all so eager to stop learning. We feel like we've we've kind of been through this this classroom process now of trying to figure out what Everton are and want to be. We're all just desperate for for success, both short and long term. Ultimately, but nothing's ever easy in this world. <laughs> I mean, he, he's got more, he has more patience with the players than we have because we're more acquainted with their failings than, than perhaps he is. And I think, I mean, I agree with Mark, actually. I think we, I do want Everton to have a, a settled way of playing. Um, I mean, my, my point in, uh, in reference to the opposition is you, mm. you've got to be cognizant of the opposition strengths in, in assessing how well that system is going to 
work out. You know, you can have a really settled way of playing, but you know that you it's going to stand you in better stead playing Fulham than it is against Manchester City. Yeah, yeah. they're a better side, but that doesn't that doesn't absolve you from having a settled a settled way of playing. I mean, I still I still look back to where where this all started to go a little bit frayed, and it was the it was the, the, the the derby game because that I think there was a there's an issue of so somewhere within that we we lost some confidence. Obviously, we 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 lost uh, Richarlison. Um, I, I, you know, we we don't seem to have been the same. The, the Everton side going into that game that kicked off mm. attitudinally and 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 um, confidence wise. Is not the Everton Everton side that left the pitch that day, and we haven't seen we haven't seen the side that came out on that day since in since in my view. Mm. Um, I mean, I remember being in London watching the uh, first game of the season, and uh, I, I I think like a lot of Evertonians, you have first impressions, don't you? You watch the first ten minutes of an Everton match, and you get a sense, don't you, the yeah. way it's going to go, just because we've all put the miles in and, and watched the team that much. And I sat in a pub in London, um, pretty empty, to be honest, watching the game on, on a big screen. I was waiting for two mates because we were working that weekend. And they came in, both Evertonians, and I went, we're playing, this is amazing. I haven't seen them <laughs> play this for eight. Like, and that, was, that was after yeah. 10, 10, 15 minutes, the way they were passing the ball around, the confidence, you know, Rodriguez and all of that. You know, and we haven't seen that for, for a while. And, I, I you know, we, we, we didn't, we haven't come out of that uh, Merseyside derby uh, game that when we haven't seen the same side and you know there's been a lot of disruption you know we, we I, th- I don't know if it was you Mark or Paddy who tweeted Everton are the side that have got it, it, that first 11 is, is on the pitch yeah it's sound but the minute you change even the smallest element of that it just seems to have an, an effect throughout the whole side and, and you can't have that in football can you because you, you just don't get to pick your first 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah especially in a season which is going to be so in this season, no, not at know, all. full of Covid and injuries and lots of games so uh, but it's barely just before we wrap up uh, barely on Saturday half 12 at Turf Moor. Uh, I'll come to you first on this one Carl and it feels like this one might suit us a little bit more than the likes of Leeds or Southampton you know I think one of the cliches that the football fans often come out with is that oh, we're better when teams come out and try and play against us and give us loads of space and you know we can counter-attack in that regard and we're better against the bigger sides and I don't think Everton really fall into that bracket at the moment I think teams that, that step on to Everton and try and disrupt them and don't let them have the ball tend to have success as we saw against Leeds as we saw against Southampton I think if a team sits back and lets us have possession we've got the tools in players like Rodriguez and Richardson to, to pick through them a little bit more and with that in mind, I'm feeling relatively confident going into this game, albeit it's, it's going to be a battle against them, isn't it? I mean, Burnley haven't had a great start to the season, largely because they're not a great side, and they haven't got lots. Of, they haven't got many really good players, and I, and I think that that that's got to be our starting point and, and take some confidence from that. You know, it's not an accident. No one's really scratching their head why Burnley haven't had a great start. You've just got to look at the squad. I mean, it's not quite Sheffield United where everyone's going. Well, what's the difference between last season and this season? They're not. They're not a great. They're not a great side. Um, I think you know we might need to protect them. We've got to come up with a better way of protecting the Rodriguez. I mean, I, I did watch that when I was watching the Leeds game. I did think who's the next player who's going to stamp on his left ankle, you know? And mm. I think you know we've got to try and protect them a little bit more. Um, but you know, I'm 
I'm confident. Um, I mean, Lord knows what the defence is going to look like, but you know, um, if we can, you know, looking forwards from the midfield, I'm, I'm, I'm confident we can get a result. I mean, I, I'm not quite sure where we go if we lose against Burnley. To be honest with you, I, you know, that that run where we've got, you know, less Chelsea, Leicester, Manchester United, Arsenal. Not, I know, not quite in that order. Um, you know, I, um, I'm not quite sure where we go if we can't get a result at Burnley. You know, I really, I really don't. But I think we will. I think we'll get a result on Saturday. Get Marco Silva back in for that difficult run of games. <laughs> um, Carl's face then uh, was an absolute picture. I've got to say. On, <laughs> on paper, I I can't think of an opposition or a fixture that suits Everton better. Um, we're playing. You've done it. Yeah, we're ready. Four, four nil. Um, <laughs> You look at a side, I think the the major test for Everton, I think, going into this game and playing against an opposition that failed to score in five of the last six games, that, that's Everton's major test, is is not conceding the, the two or, or potentially three goals that yeah. we are Brilliant accustomed yeah. to doing. Um, if you're not going away, putting in an impressive performance at Turf Moor and keeping a clean sheet, then... Statistics tell you at the moment that you've got a problem. Um, it, it's a game that you can very much see Everton going free at the back again, I would imagine. Um, I think instinctively you think of aerial threat. Um, Yerry Mina will be pointing at everyone and, and ideally he- heading everything away. I don't know when you, you just think about this game and, and the fixture that we played three at the back a few years ago and obviously got a really favourable result there. But it, it's a formation that I quite like Everton playing. It's it's an area of the side that's centre back where we've got relative strength in depth. Um, it allows a, a degree of freedom for our central midfielders, uh, and in particular for James Rodriguez. Um, so I think that that probably is the way that we go at it. Um, I think from an individual point of view as well, it it, it allows us to drag the best out of a couple of players. Uh, Alan, I would say from the weekend was was one of those who really seemed to th- thrive on the knowledge that. He had that element of stability behind him in terms of that extra central defender. Um, but I think in terms of style, the, what, what we're still trying to figure out at the moment is that are, are we going to be a possession football team or are we going to see the, the type of Everton that we saw at the weekend whereby the opposition have the bulk of the ball uh, and we like to do the damage on the break. And I think the, the favourable element of playing against Burnley in my eyes is that Everton should be capable of pulling off either of those game plans. Um, if we decide to keep the ball, then, then we should do that with ease, quite honestly, given the, the calibre of player that we've got. And I think we've seen not only this season, but in previous seasons, that, that Burnley are there to be got at on the counter-attack. Um, in particular, the game that they played earlier this season against Tottenham at home, um, there was countless occasions where Tottenham players were getting ahead of the ball and and getting into really good advanced positions, and, and Burnley didn't seem to have the the ability to stop them. So, on paper, looking at the type of players that Everton have got, you'd expect us to cause equivalent damage, but it doesn't always quite go like that for Everton. So, I think it, it'll be a, a really interesting game, and as as much as we, we've already said in the podcast that we'd like to know a lot more about what Everton are going to look like in the next six weeks and leading up into the new year, I think... We'll, we'll learn a lot from this Everton team in the next 90 minutes in terms of 
where the rest of the season will go. I honestly think it's that defining. I think you've got to go to places like Turf Moor, be impressive and get points. Yeah. What the one, one of the things we've got to improve on, I mean, we talk about the tactics, we can talk about who's playing in what position. But one of the things that, I mean, if I had any hair, it, it would have been torn out, is, is the wasteful passing, is giving the ball away. Players giving the ball away when they're under no pressure at all. And we've seen it at Fulham um, and we've seen it at, um, against Leeds of, of just completely wasteful possession. And, and it's an Everton case. And I, I, I thought having a manager like Ancelotti, he'd set the players down, you know, get them to keep it simple. And, you know, but the, the amount of passing out of defence that were in the midfield that was just going straight to... Uh, and, and, and against a team like Leeds, you, you just can't do that, can you? Because they're already pressing you. Um, but that's a big thing we've got. If we can if we can do that and not give the ball away, keep the ball, I think, you know, we'll we'll get a good result. But, you know, I, yeah. Yeah. That, that's does, a big thing for me. It does just feel like one of those games where you, if you just turn up and be confident, still be competent, yeah. they'll be fine. But, you know, we've seen, haven't we, that that's not always the case with Everton. But, uh, yeah, we'll leave it there this week, lads. Uh, thanks very much to Mark and Carl. Cheers to Paul as well before... And again, thanks to Zuzu for our intro. Uh, really, <laughs> really catchy stuff. It's been going around in my head all week, that one. So uh, cheers to her for that. Do check out her stuff on Spotify, as we said there as well. Uh, we'll be back with post-match from the game against Burnley at the weekend. And if you want to hear a little bit more from us as ever, it's patreon.com slash extra. Uh, in the meantime, we'll speak to you again next week here on The Weekly. Thanks very much for listening. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Sports Social Podcast Network.